Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Steven. And we're going to be talking about the 1975 film Mirror, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Mia, what have you watched since the last time we recorded? Last night, we went and saw A Quiet Place Part 2 in theaters, which was exciting. Um... It was not as good as the first one, so slightly disappointed, but it was a fun movie to see in theaters. There's lots of like jumping out, startling things and stuff, so that was fun. And uh, we also watched Mission Impossible because Jeremiah is on a big Tom Cruise kick right now, so. Ooh, that's an interesting kick. It's an interesting <laughs> kick, yeah. Are you going clear, Jeremiah? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Scientologist now. You're going to go clear. Which one was it, by the way? Was it the original one? Or the was first it? one, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. first one, okay. yeah, but I, I want to watch others because the last two or three Mission Impossible movies, especially, are very good. So I, I wanted yeah. to watch them in order. I was listening to these commentaries that a podcast I really like did on this series, so it made me want to watch these. Um, yeah, cool. yeah. The third one is basically like an Alias episode. <laughs> That's what I've heard, and, and we're going <laughs> to skip if if we continue this or I continue this. I'm skipping the second one, because that one's a piece of trash. Kicking Impossible, that's what they called it. I like <laughs> the one with Tandy Newton. Which yeah, one's the, the John mm-hmm. Woo directed one. I thought that it's, was okay. I remember it just being terrible, and I've heard nothing but bad things about it since. Like Anybody who's revisited it is like, yeah, it hasn't aged well. Um, they yeah. didn't have chemistry, that's for sure. No, right. zero. Um, this is another series of movies that I've never seen a single one of them. <laughs> what? How have you completely, like, I've only seen, I think, the first two before, but how have you just completely I just don't care. I just don't care. They're pretty good. I'm kind of with you. They're pretty good. The the first one is fun. It's fun. And it's so old at this point. It's like you're watching, like, a caper or something. You're just like, this Mm. is ridiculous. It's Mm. not that I think that they're they're not fun. It's just that I, I I guess, like, I feel like I have to kind of justify spending money on things like mm-hmm. going to the movies and it's like it, if it doesn't really excite me or interest me like i'm not gonna right. do it mm. right well yeah. the, the first mission impossible is basically brian de palma doing a hitchcock riff that sounds and, like a party but uh i also watched <laughs> top gun in theaters in dolby surround cinema do you want to hear my joke about that about top gun yeah sure you know you're getting old when you're like super hot for goose <laughs> well, I'm like, so old. You might not be old yet. He's like the hottest guy in the in the in the movie. Mm, okay. Well, last That's night, a take. last Anthony night, we... Edwards, as opposed to like the Iceman or right, right. We saw the preview for Top Gun Two Maverick last night, and it just oh, looked nice. so ridiculous. I was like, I'm definitely going to see this movie in theaters, and I guess they filmed it in IMAX, so it's going to be just like totally insane. Yeah. So. But <laughs> pumped about that. The best part of seeing the first Top Gun in Dolby Cinemas is my seat was rumbling from Kenny Loggins. <laughs> So that was cool. My seat is always lo- it was always rumbling with Kenny Loggins. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, There's so many jokes. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. Stephen basically told them all in that short and concise. Just, <laughs> bit. Um, I also watched Rogue One this morning for some reason. So I I, I think I what I've realized is. The more esoteric the movies we're watching for this podcast are, I'm watching more like the opposite of that. I'm watching just blockbuster popcorn stuff to counter 
mirror. Next, you're going to watch like Pearl Harbor, like the no, entire Michael Bay franchise. Yeah. I will not be doing that. I will not be doing that. Stephen, what have you watched since last time we recorded? Um, I watched a couple movies. I watched Tenet, um, which I didn't really like because I was completely confused by it. And it kind of ties into this movie that we saw this week. (laughs) So that was kind of interesting. And it made me think about a lot of things. Um, The other movie I saw was Priest because Laura had watched it and really loved it. It's that loose remake of The Searchers. I would beg to say not loved it as much as I admired how brazenly they stole it shot for shot. I didn't hate, I liked it though. Yeah, it was enjoyable. And I also watched uh, (laughs) The Last House on the Left, the remake. From 2009 with uh, Aaron Paul and the the guy who plays the president in Scandal. I can't remember his name, but yeah, and, and it was it was pretty gory actually. So I don't know why I watched it. I was sort of flipping around. I'm like, I'll watch this. And it was it was kind of awful, but anyway. I think it's Tony Goldwyn or something. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say it's a Tony. Anything else from you, Stephen? Um, nope, those are the the three. All right, Alicia. I really didn't watch any movies this week. Sorry, I know this is like two weeks in a row where I didn't watch any movies, but I did watch a show on Netflix called Feel Good, um, which is done by um, this non-binary Canadian um, stand-up comedian, Mae Martin. Season one is on Netflix now. Season two is out in, on like June fourth or something. So by the time this comes out, it should be out. But it was very good. Season one was very good. Cool. I watched the first two episodes of that. What you did? Did you like it? I it's did. It's a lot. It's a lot. Stressful. Yeah, but um, I liked it overall. Right. Yeah. And Laura? I watched The Artist, hmm. um, the 2011 film. I think it won Best Picture. It did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've always wanted, I always kind of felt like I had a preconceived um, idea of it. And I would say that that pretty much held up. Um they say the simple stories are the best stories, but the simplicity of how this story was told, I found it insulting. Mm. So this was um, your first time seeing it? Yes. Okay. And I was just like, all right, yeah. He's just he's driving himself down right. and she's going to save him and, da, 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 and they're going to dance. And, and, and it was just like, you know fuck this movie so and no i mean obviously um the actors in it were really beautiful and it was shot very stylistically and the hair was like on point Mm. full-on like hair porn for laura grillo but i think that the rest of it was just it it just was didactic that that's one of those movies especially as far as best pictures at the Oscars go that I think everyone forgets about. Like I never it was, heard... and it got so many nominations yeah. and awards and all across the, and it was like, but it was like kidding? just for a few months period of time. And then it was like, everybody collectively forgot that movie even existed or won best picture, so best director and best actor. at the Academy Awards. It was so forgettable. I can admit that I haven't even thought of that movie till you just brought it up right now. Right. And I saw that movie in the theaters. Um, and I remembered liking it at the time, but I couldn't tell you what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's forgettable. Um, so for those who may not have listened to this show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022. So we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. We invite listeners to take part in the discussions by watching along and sharing their opinions in our Facebook group, by emailing, or by leaving a voice message on our anchor.fm show page. And again, this time we're talking about Mirror, 
but before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about the movie going into this viewing? Had any of us seen it before? If not, uh, what were you expecting, if anything? And since I picked this one, I guess I'll start off by saying I'd never seen this. The only Tarkovsky film I'd seen before this one was Solaris. All I really knew about this one was that it's somewhat abstract or nonlinear and <laughs> that it featured poetry or a poet. I wasn't sure if it was about a poet or it featured poetry or both. Um, so that was pretty much it. And uh, I had my preconceived notions about Tarkovsky based on Solaris, I should say, I guess, maybe. But beyond that, didn't know much. Mia, how about you? Um, I didn't know anything about this movie. And the only Russian film I've seen before is Dr. Zhivago. And I know we had been kind of joking that like, oh, this film is very Russian. So I guess I was expecting like mm -hmm. something along those lines, like a sweeping <laughs> epic, lots of snow. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this movie wasn't what I thought it was going to be. At all. <laughs> okay. And cute. I'm Steven. sorry, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dr. Javago, so I was excited. And that was then very cute. Not excited. <laughs> <laughs> and Steven, how about you? Um, I went into this completely blind, didn't know anything about the the movie at all. Um, I did see Solaris like parts of it a long time ago and I couldn't get through it. So I was a little bit wary of it. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it walking in. So it totally wasn't what I expected <laughs> when I watched it. Okay. And Laura. Um, I knew it was going to be Russian and I knew the name Tarkovsky in terms of, um, a lot of important films that people really like that have a, um, I haven't sat down to watch them, but they all looked very surrealist to me. And, um, so I was ready for that, but that's it. Okay. That's and all I was ready for. Gotcha. And Alicia? Yeah, I knew nothing about this film. It was the first time this whole podcast that I didn't even Google it before I watched it. I just like went to Amazon and found it and started watching it. And I, that's it. Right. And maybe it's worth um, recalling that basically I picked this movie because I wanted to pick something that was later in the chronology of when these films have been released that happened to have appeared on this list. And I love that you're qualifying why you picked it. No, no, it's not even that. I, I just we had to watch it eventually. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I mean, I was interested in it because, like, I've wanted to watch more Tarkovsky because, like, I found Solaris difficult as well. As well, I just remember out. there's there was a few times where I was like. Jeremiah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I, I've been interested in watching more of his films. And I also remember like when we were starting this whole project, all the movies we were watching from like were from World War II or earlier or something, it seemed like. So I wanted to pick something later on. And the, as we've talked about, the latest movie you can pick is Raging Bull. Um, I wanted to pick something also that I hadn't seen before. So that kind of, those two qualifiers for me made me land on this movie. And we'll see what, where that gets us in this conversation. Um, so released in 1975, Mirror is the fourth of Andrei Tarkovsky's seven feature films. Nonlinear in its structure, the movie mainly features a mix of scenes from the central character's childhood in the pre-World War II Soviet Union revolving largely around memories of his mother, 
and scenes from that same character's life as an adult after World War II, revolving largely around his ex-wife and son. Notably, the mother and ex-wife are portrayed by the same woman. Interspersed with these are bits of newsreel footage, other memories, and poetic passages. The script for the film was something Tarkovsky worked on for years, and it draws on his own life and memories. The first time he submitted the script to the Soviet State Film Committee, it was rejected. And it wasn't until the committee had a new head that Mirror was approved for production. On its completion, those in the Soviet film establishment had mixed opinions, with some considering it a failure, while others thought it was a film for the ages. As a result, its distribution was limited, and audiences were basically similarly extremely divided. When the film played outside of the Soviet Union, the balance of praise to criticism from critics and filmmakers leaned more towards the positive, and the film has become an influential touchstone for many filmmakers. As a result, it broke into the top 10 of Sight & Sound Magazine's Greatest Films poll in 2012, ranking ninth on the survey of directors. And just to check in with what was popular or well-regarded in the United States the year Mirror was released, Jaws was the highest-grossing movie in North America in 1975, while One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was not only the second-highest-grossing film, but also swept the Academy Awards major categories. Meanwhile, in the Soviet Union, the top-grossing film in 1975 was a 1973 Bollywood film called Bobby. So I'm going to just start off by saying that I think this is, to me at least, clearly the most experimental movie we've watched for the podcast. Uh, Please let me know if you disagree as we come around to you. Uh, And more than any of the other movies we've watched so far, I'm really unsure, or I was unsure before we started recording and people started kind of previewing their thoughts maybe i was i'm really unsure of what any of your reactions are going to be so i'm really curious to hear um so alicia what did you think so as i said before i i went in with zero knowledge of what this film was going to be and um i i expected it to be a little bit difficult because it is a russian film and i did see a a russian film a few years ago that i had a really difficult time with called (laughs) hard to be a god Um, I will, thankfully this was not like that, (laughs) but, um, I did have to stop the movie like 30 minutes in and Google it and be like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to be focusing on here? Um, but then once I realized that it's, it's just kind of, um, experimental and it's kind of stream of consciousness and that it's, um, there's no, I mean, I don't want to say there's no plot, but there's. There's pretty, there's not much plot. At that point, I was able to just kind of let go of whatever, like, and not really worry about focusing on anything too, too much and just kind of let it like happen to me. And um, yeah, I, I, it, I found it moving. It's a little um, indulgent. <laughs> I still found it. I still found it. It evoked something in me. So, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't dislike it. Okay. And Mia? I had a really hard time with this film. Um, I was at first trying to take notes on what happened because we watched it like several days ago and I was worried I would forget stuff for the podcast. And just like halfway through, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what am I even writing down? Literally my last note is Russian exceptionalism mongols grenade head pulls gross what the fuck and then i just gave up after that and i agree with alicia i think we didn't 
I didn't stop to Google it, but I think it is just sort of a film you have to just kind of like go with. I think I was trying to be like, okay, like, okay, so there's going to be something, there's going to be a conflict, there's going to be resolution. And like, how do I track this through this? And there's just not. Um, I really enjoyed the camera in this. I thought it, it was really cool how like people would leave like in the beginning when the barn is burning and they leave the room but then like the camera still stays in the room for a long time after that and like the really lingering shots especially like the grass out in the countryside I really liked that um I will admit I realized afterwards I was like oh wait she was his mom and ex-wife or whatever like totally went over my head (laughs) so I should probably watch the movie again and uh really have more like actual context of what it's supposed to be about and go from there um I also really enjoyed the newsreel clips I just thought those were really interesting and also probably me being like this very literal person probably just gave me something to hold on to and be like oh okay this is like this time marker here and this is a real event that's happening as opposed to these like hallucinogenic dream states going on the rest of the time so I don't know if it evoked I liked how you said it evoked something in you I don't know if it evoked anything in me besides being frustrated but I definitely was still thinking about it for a few days afterwards not entirely positively but you know so I guess that's good I certainly can appreciate it as like an achievement of film but it's not a casual watch that's for sure mm-hmm. right and Stephen, how about you um, yeah, it's definitely not a casual watch. It took me a few times to get through this so I could actually watch the movie the first time I had to turn it off after 30 minutes. And this is one of those kind of things where it would have really helped me if I didn't go into it cold. And I've been trying to go into all of these movies cold, um, just because I want the experience to be kind of fresh. And this is one of those that would have really benefited from me reading up on it a little bit more before I actually got started with it. Because, and I've noticed this about myself just over doing these, the podcast and read and watching these movies. I'm a pretty literal person and I kind of have an internal bias when it comes to movies where I kind of need to figure out the plot and what it's going to happen. And that happened with Aventura too, where I was trying to figure out the mystery of it instead of just letting the movie kind of go. Mm-hmm. And also it was funny because I watched Tenet and I had the same problem with it where I couldn't figure out the plot and I worked really hard to try to figure out, to put the pieces together in my head to make it so that it made sense to me. And I couldn't enjoy the movie. And there was a lot of scenes where in this movie where I was trying to piece together now now who's this character is that supposed to be his mother and I'd find myself like really trying to put it together so um other than that like I I did end up trying to watch it again and I did enjoy it a little bit more knowing what I knew you know after I watched it the first time and then read up on it a little bit more so I felt like I wished I had been able to like know what the movie was about kind of before I went into it. And I think watching it repeat times would probably help because you can kind of approach it as like poetry or like music where you just sort of let it happen and you don't really invest that much into the plot. Um, So I did like the visuals of it and I liked the conversations and I got more out of the little vignettes where they were a little bit longer, where something happened, like when they're in the printing room and, you know, she was proofing and, you know, the scenes in the military, I really liked those because it felt like it was a little bit more something that I could grasp. Um, but overall, like after watching the second time, I did get more out of it and I, I did end up liking it when I thought about it. Um, so yeah, that that's my initial thoughts. Gotcha. And Laura? What comes to mind is that I'm not mad at it. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, 
it's just so fucking Freudian, you know, like it's a, there's the id ego and super ego. There's the dreamscape. There's the mommy issues. It's just like, fuck you and your German poetry. It just, it got really exhausting. Um, there was some beautiful imagery for sure. And there was, there was some really inspiring shots. So to me, I was like, okay, yeah, that's David Lynch. His whole entire, you know, canon is based on those two minutes of film while she's washing her hair, you know, and, and stuff like that. There's just, but at the same time, I just found it really empty and uh, disappointing. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel like what everybody is saying is like shades of the same thing. And it's just sort of like, are you into this sort of thing or not? Like everybody sort of agrees on what this movie is, um, which isn't, I guess that surprising, but um, I, I, I guess like I can't necessarily say I liked it, but I didn't dislike it either. Um, it was interesting to me and I'm not sure if I would say intellectually interesting. Like there is that element to it because like I enjoy film both as a fan and like, to study. So there is something intellectually interesting about it to me, but I don't think it's meant to be an intellectual exercise. I think this is supposed to be like an emotional uh, space that is being created by this film. And, and I think it's about him exploring these emotions and memories and the intertwining of, of those. And I don't think it's something that you're necessarily supposed to fully comprehend when you're first watching it or that's not the point you know I, I think the point is not about comprehending i think it's about like i said that emotional space that he's building and just existing in that and within that there's like a lot of stuff that stuck with me especially the imagery like mia was saying um but i think that the imagery and other elements of it they're supposed to stick in your head so that you will think about them after it's over and that's happened for me um, like it was frustrating at times to watch in the moment, but it's one of those movies that I am still thinking about and I would be interested in rewatching it at some point, um, and kind of trying to crack it. It, it kind of reminds me in some ways of a couple of movies that I, I, one comes from before it and one comes way after it. 2001, A Space Odyssey, where like, for me, that is like the touchstone movie of my whole like movie watching, um, whatever experience. Like I, that's the, the thing that made me as interested in movies as I am, because like the first time I watched it, I was like, I have no idea what this means, but I want to understand it. And I wanted to rewatch it and try to like figure it out. But it, it's not a movie that you're supposed to be able to say like, this is the answer to. And I think that's the same thing here. It's whatever you make of it. And, but the movie that I think is more recent that I think, uh, I, I have to imagine Terrence Malick saw this movie at some point because I can't watch Tree of Life now um, and not think that like there's a lot in common between these of of going back to like the childhood and and mixing all these things. I mean, this movie doesn't flash back to the dawn of time and have dinosaurs stepping on each other's heads or anything. But there's a lot of similarity to me, though, of, of it being sort of like about the poetry of the visuals intertwining with other elements and, and it just sort of being like an experience that you're going to remember um, and, and not need to crack. Yeah. Uh, Laura, what was your question? Um, 
Well, it's interesting that you said Malik because I just thought of Lynch and Von Trier so much so while I was watching it, but I just so wanted to point that out. My question was how many times for the people watching, well, it was all of us watching it for the first time. How long, how many times did we have to stop and start to get through this motherfucker? <laughs> I don't think we stopped at all. I fell asleep the last like 20 minutes and had, so that my fun. So then did you finish it? I mean, yeah. I woke up. I like nodded off for a few minutes and then like. I don't know about yeah. that, Mia. <laughs> but then I, it's true because I was reading something earlier and I was like, that happened. So I might have missed more than I thought. It, no, I don't okay. think you were. All right. I don't think you were out that long. It uh, was. Well, the last 20 minutes I was like, sh- I, I was know. like, wake up, wake yeah. up, you know. Yeah. So I think we stopped it once to like go get a drink from the kitchen or something or like a, a snack or something. But also to be but, yeah. like, what the fucking fuck is happening here? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but we did make it through in like basically one sitting. Yeah. You know, okay. we were there to watch the movie and we finished it. That's um, good. Yeah. It was twice for me. I, twice. The first time I watched it, I stopped it. And I was like, I can't do this. And then the next day, <laughs> I turned it back on and I was like, I'm going to start from the beginning and then I'm going to watch it. And I did pause it so I could read a little bit some of the articles about it. Just so I was like, am I on the same page? Like, do, am I just not getting this? Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, okay, all right. I'm just going to try to experience this movie. And then, yeah. And then I did try to watch it again today. And I got, I got most of the way through it. Yeah, I stopped it. Like I said, just the, I stopped it like 30 minutes in. Cause I was just like, I have to, I have to get, get some context on this. And then I probably stopped it again once or twice just to like, yeah, I think get some food or something, but I didn't like stop it and leave for a long time and then come back later or Mm. stop it and go back and rewatch things really kind of did it all in one sitting, but with brief pauses. Laura, what about you? I had to stop after the first five minutes (laughs) and recalibrate. And then I watched it from the beginning again for the first hour and had to just take a fucking break. And then I watched (laughs) it again for the last hour. And the entire time was uh, a job. Then I have this question for you and then for everybody. If not for this podcast and our assignment essentially to watch it, would you have just turned it off and left it off if you had ever started it at all? I just want to preface that by saying, like, I don't mean this to be like accusatory or like anything. Like, I think it's fine to just not finish a movie. Some movies, you know, like there has to be the right time for you to watch something. And sometimes it's not that. So, like, I'm not yeah. trying to like shame I'm not anybody. Ashamed. <laughs> no fucking way would I have finished this entire movie yeah. if I didn't feel so beholden to you guys and respectful yeah it was fucking exhausting same i'm with you absolutely no shame i would have turned this if like i was watching this on an airplane for some reason i would have turned it off and been like i would know (laughs) i mean i do think the acting like the the mom slash wife the one who looked sort of like a russian meryl streep and her like weird kind of disdain for everyone she was just so fascinating i would have I could hang out with her for a while in her movie, but it was, it wasn't her movie. They weren't her lines. You could, she was reading a man's version of things and it was very indulgent to Alicia's point, very 
And back to the Freudian thing. Stephen or Alicia, like, <laughs> would you have finished the film, you think? I don't think I would have. And I usually finish films, but I, you know, I, I just couldn't get through it. I think it was the fact that it just didn't make sense from the get-go. And there's some movies where it feels like you, you're going to have to watch this twice. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have done that on my own to watch it twice to get it. So I probably would have just turned it off. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, for me, it just depends. Like, it would depend on the day that I decided to watch it. Right. Like, if I'm in the mood for something like this, then I can really enjoy it and, like, probably watch it, like, a couple times. But if it was, if you caught me on a day where, like, I didn't, well, and almost kind of like yesterday where I just didn't know and I didn't have the ability to like stop it and see what it really was, then I also might not have finished it. And I totally understand like, and I do understand, like, I agree with, with you, Laura, too. Like there's, there's a lot of like male ego, male psychology. It's, it's, you know, but I also don't mind like peeking in at that kind of thing. And, and I still felt point. that there were elements that I could um, identify with and that I felt like, you know, I, I understood where he was coming from about like a lot of things yeah. <laughs> about, um, you know, just like how memory affects you can still affect you in your present day. And, right. mm -hmm. you know, so there's some, some images that just never leave you for whatever reason and how poignant, um, you know, like your childhood can be and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, yeah, so I don't, I don't hate this kind of thing. I just, it would just really depend on the day <laughs> the way that it would just really depend on my mood that day I watched it, you know? I, I agree with you, Alicia, in the sense that it's interesting to watch something where time isn't linear, you mm -hmm. know, it's like a person is experiencing all these different things always at, at different parts of their lives. Cause it's part yeah. of them. And I respect that, but um, it was just done in this it's it just, it was so disjointed and it, I just didn't feel like I, it seemed nostalgic, but to the point of maudlin mm -hmm. as it, I just wasn't, mm -hmm. didn't, I there were some really beautiful moments and imagery and the grass and the kids and the, you know, there's a lot there, but it didn't come together for me at all. I, yeah. I was thinking that like, it wasn't the fact that it wasn't linear for me. It was the fact that he was, if it was from his perspective, it was, um, he's an unreliable narrator. So everything that happened, you weren't really sure if it was in the past or it was just his memory of it. Um, so for me, trying to decipher that was really difficult. Um, I was okay with the perspective of like everything that came out of his wife slash mother's mouth was just his perspective <laughs> of what he thought because he was on his deathbed. So even then, and that also kind of bothered me in that, you know, in terms of a movie, it's just, I mean, I just kind of had to accept it <laughs> after a while, just accept what was happening. Right. And just to put myself in the same spot, I put everyone else. Like, I'm not sure I would have made it through the movie if I didn't feel like I had to for this. I, I, I think same as what Alicia was saying, it would just completely depend on the day and time I was watching it and how I felt and like, did I just have the patience for it or not? It made me think a lot of uh, when I was still in New York, I was going to New York Film Festival the last few years I was there. And there are so many movies that I would go to and just depending on how many movies I'd been to that day at the festival or how many movies I'd been to that week and how many of those movies had been difficult and or frustrating to watch, 
I would walk out of some of them sometimes and just be like, I can't do this. And I need to go and uh, be in the sunlight because it's like four o'clock and there's still some daytime left to enjoy my life <laughs> instead of watching this. Um, <laughs> but that also is like with, with, with those movies, a lot of times it's like first time filmmakers or people who don't have a lot of uh, a lot of work under their belt. And I think that the Tarkovsky factor of this, like knowing that he is this um, this pillar of world cinema would have made me want to make myself finish this movie, um, even if I felt frustrated by it and didn't have this sort of deadline to watch it. I, I do think it's also worth mentioning that one reason we finished it in basically one sitting is because we did the Lincoln Center virtual cinemas thing. And once you started watching it, you had 24 hours to watch it. And we knew that if we didn't finish it that night, we weren't going to have the rental <laughs> available to us anymore. So, uh, that helped us sit down and do it. Yeah. Like today, I was like, oh, I, I almost feel like I should rewatch it. And then we we're like, oh, I don't know if we can actually. So. Yeah, Prime. It's on Prime. That's how I watched it. It was Prime. Okay. Oh. One thing I did appreciate is how, you know, it showed time probably as we all experience it. And as I certainly mm -hmm. think you would experience it on your deathbed, you know, whether you're just looking back on your life and these things that even if they're decades ago feel so vivid to you or if you're in some sort of like hallucinatory <laughs> dying state um and it was interesting I, I don't quite know like the thread here but like it was interesting watching this and I've said a bunch of times I feel like part of me and probably part of all of us will always be stuck in 2020 because it was just like such a traumatizing year that I feel like in the same way that like 9-11 was a big marker in my life and like all of our lives like I just feel like the trauma of this year like there'll be some part of me that like will I ever just be the same person I was before like probably not you know mm -hmm. and and then it was interesting going to see A Quiet Place, part two, which they should have named A Quieter Place. I'm mad <laughs> about that. Um, but in the film opens with like the last day before the monsters come and everything. And it's like they're just at a baseball game and it's like this super ordinary time. And then you start to kind of see like there's something on the news and then something appears in the sky and then like all hell breaks loose. And we were talking about it afterwards, like, obviously not quite the same as the pandemic, but like, you know, we all have that like, oh, that was like the last normal thing I did, the last normal day I had. So it was just kind of interesting, like watching this movie, time is kind of always happening, whether it is your present or your past, feeling this personal feeling and then seeing this other movie about like the end of your normal. Yeah. And and it seemed like World War Two or just, you know, all the wars in Europe basically leading including i guess maybe the spanish civil war because there was some newsreel footage from that or something <laughs> yeah um mm -hmm. like those were his marker that kind of what you're talking about of like the pandemic or 9-11 this thing that sort of redefined him I, I would say because like the movie is very clearly divided into pre and post war life and that's the you know the demarcation between them i guess i i, I had a question or not a question i it just i find it interesting um Mia and Steven, you were both talking about being literal minded. And so the, the movie challenging you in that way, Mia, you said that uh, you really were able to connect with the newsreels more than some other stuff, which I found to be the opposite for me, because like to me, because the rest of the movie was more abstract and stream of consciousness and sort of like you'd he'd 
there'd be some connection between the memory, the more distant memory and the more recent memory uh, thematically or something. And then all of a sudden there'd be these newsreels, which to me were this more literal, like real thing. And I was like, I don't understand how this connects to anything because everything else is so abstract and this is defined. So those kind of pulled me out of it. So I was kind of curious what uh, about the newsreels um, sort of, why do those connected with you in the context of the movie? Was it just that they were the most literal thing or am I not phrasing that the right way? Is that not descriptive of it for you? I think for me, I really, one thing I've really enjoyed about this podcast is looking into the historical context behind the movies. So I think for me, it was like this connection to the real world of like, oh, okay, this is part of what is shaping this character here. And that isn't these like crazy scenes of his mom washing her hair in this really grotesque way or, you know, levitating in bed or like just these other like dream <laughs> things. Um, so I, you know, I just liked that as like, oh, okay, this is like an actual thing here. And to me, especially the one where it was the kids leaving, I, I looked it up later, I guess it was, they were leaving Moscow to go out into the countryside. I guess I wasn't sure because like I know that was a big thing in England during World War II, um, but it makes sense that they were doing it all over the place. But going out into the countryside to avoid the bombings and like saying goodbye to their families and all of that, like I just thought that was like really emotionally arresting, like probably one of the most emotional times I had watching this whole movie because the rest of the time I was just like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so I also just really liked it for that. I think it actually made me feel something as opposed to just feeling confused. And then, Stephen, um, you were talking about how you, you saw Tenet in kind of a similar time frame to watching this movie and how both were movies that you were watching and frustrated by because you wanted to know what was happening. And I guess one thing that I, I would say with Tenet, I also saw that movie and had a similar experience, but I feel like Christopher Nolan's movies usually, and I think probably with this one, unless I'm missing the point of it, they're puzzles more than anything a lot of the time. And it's like there is something to solve in them. And I think that that's the difference from this movie where I don't think there's anything to solve with it. Like, I think yeah. it's sort of the difference between Christopher Nolan is like a magician where there's a trick involved that you can figure out. And this is more like a poet who like it's it's just more trying to evoke a feeling and so I don't really know what my question is here. I guess I wonder if you like agree with that sort of framing of the two films in relation to each other. And like, did you enjoy something more about one of the films over the other because of that dynamic between them? Um, I see what you're saying. Um, personally, I'm not really like, I've always had a difficult time studying poetry, like in my entire life. Um, just because it's really hard for me not to parse something and try to figure out what the meaning is without just letting it kind of happen. Um, but yeah, I think you're probably right about, uh, I did enjoy this movie in a different way than with Tenet, um, because I have liked Christopher Nolan's other movies like Interstellar. I really, he did Interstellar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also uh, Inception, I really liked that a lot, which those movies were also confusing. But for some reason, either I could figure out the puzzle or like the way that everything kind of pieced together was enough for me. Um, and so with, with Tenet, I don't think that was enough. So with this movie, I think after I read what it was really supposed to be kind of like, it's supposed to evoke feelings, it's supposed to be his memory. 
Um, I was able to enjoy single scenes on its own and just kind of appreciate the filmmaking or the acting as opposed to just trying to figure out what it was. So in that respect, I kind of did like this movie more than I did Tenet, which is, I guess, an odd thing to say um, just because that was a newer movie. But that's how I felt. Laura? It's interesting that you're talking about Nolan and Tenet versus this film and because it is very fragmented. And that's why I'm going to bring up Von Trier again, because it seems that there there was no puzzle as much. It's just a bunch of um, chapters. But unlike Von Trier, who creates this sort of spectacle to remind people that they're watching, there's like an interlude and there's you know, a beginning, middle, and, and different things to wrap up at the end. This just had different phases and different pieces. Um, and it wasn't part of a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I think to your point, it is about evoking an emotion and a feeling, but it also, it's a very frustrating thing to watch. I found that I, that was the main um, takeaway that I, when I, when I, um, because there were so many things that I wanted to hold on to and um, that were beautiful, like the burning of the, the doctor and then the rehashing of that. There could have been so many pieces of it. And instead it just was this, um, it's almost as like a brain leaking away before it died. And yeah, that was my point. <laughs> Alicia? I did find it frustrating especially when I first started watching it, that there wasn't anything for me to be like following. Cause I, especially when the first poem reading started happening, I was like, what is going on? Right now? <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going to, I was like, am I supposed to be getting something, some plot mm-hmm. information from this? And yeah. I just couldn't like keep the information in my head of the poem. And then I, and I like poetry and I like poetry analysis and I like, um, trying to analyze like lyrics to songs and stuff like that. I really enjoy that. But I think I was just so like taken or caught off guard by that in, in this instance that I was just like, I, I was a little frustrated and angry at first. And that's why I think that's why I, I eventually did end up pausing it and going to see what was going on. But I, I do, I do think like, I didn't find the movie boring at all. Like, even though there was even though I, there was nothing to follow and it, it was kind of just like hitting me with like imagery and weirdness. And uh, I, I kind of liked that there was no, not necessarily anything that I needed to, there wasn't anything that I was like, you are supposed to be getting this message from this. Mm-hmm. I was kind of just like, okay, I can just have my own like emotional reaction to these things and I can put whatever I want to, you know, I can, I can allow this to bring up whatever feelings. It's like therapeutic. I was like, I can allow this to bring up whatever feelings I want to have right now. And I can like explore those feelings and it's fine. You know, like Mm -hmm. I can cry during this scene, whether it's, whether anyone else would cry or not, like that's fine. So I liked that. Right. Um, Yeah. I, I think this kind of movie is almost more of like a high wire act than a lot of movies. Cause it's like, it's going to either work really well for people a lot of the times or people are going to hate it. And mm-hmm. I, I think the people like, I, I think it's so easy for, for it to feel like a movie going off the rails to so many people as they're watching it. So like, I, I think that the people who 
the movie connects with it connects with them very heavily and it's going to mean so much to them whereas everyone else is going to be like some uh on some spectrum of like i fucking hated it to like it was interesting but not for me which i i'm not trying to like over characterize but it feels like that's we're we're somewhere towards we're somewhere in there, all of us. I don't think any of us is like, this is like my favorite movie of all time or on, on its way to being that necessarily. It doesn't sound like that, but... No, I think yeah. you can safely say no. <laughs> but but I, I mean, I also stick by what I said earlier where like, I think that this isn't a movie that wants you to just like watch it the once and be done with it. It wants you to think about it and maybe revisit it and like have have the experience of it and and be there for you to experience whenever you want it to. It's not like... It's not popcorn entertainment, just like fleeting um, fun or something. You know, it's it's trying to go for something else. And if, if it works for you, it's great. If it doesn't, it's sort of like, OK, well, bye. I totally get like why the why the critics and why audiences had like such a split reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred percent understand that. I do think that he did achieve something. I mean, at least for me, like there, like I said, I, I was moved by parts of it. And so I think that that I think that's kind of what he was hoping to do and he was just trying to say these are the things that I find or things that I would be thinking about or these are the things that shape my psyche maybe maybe you too (laughs) you know I don't know so Mm -hmm. I don't know I would love to see like him pitching this to the Soviet film council like I know it didn't get funded the first time and I can just see him being like so it's like this dream and the mother and my ex-wife are the same and I don't know it just I don't know that much about Russian cinema especially around the time when he was first trying to start making this but I just I don't picture it as like a super open-minded film council um so yeah well I, I guess that gets at like what you were saying before of of you I think I was the one who kept joking that it's very it seems like a very Russian movie um mm-hmm. and I think I still think that but my my knowledge of what Russian film isn't like super broad or anything. I think it's largely based on Tarkovsky and Eisenstein, where I think of them as like these artists who are a balance of craftsmen and visionary storytellers in some way. Like I I don't know that I get the whole Tarkovsky thing yet. I I don't think I've seen the film that I'm like I understand wholly now why he's like a god to some people of of the filmmaking world uh the eisenstein thing i get more because he was like more formative to the art form like he helped to kind of like define the grammar of what films were in the like early years of cinema but i i guess what i'm trying to get at here is that i i think that oddly the the films that i know from russia both having seen or like read about and kind of know something about even if i haven't seen them like it's interesting to me that such a repressive or oppressive society had such great artists who are somehow able to make work there. I mean, it makes me wonder how many artists or potential artists were not allowed to make great work there, but the stuff that that kind of was funded because this regime over the years, the multiple regimes that make up like the history of the Soviet Union really, like wanted to have a reputation in the world of having great art that was part of its cultural identity and legacy. And so they, they didn't want that to just be about the past, but about like, we have that now. So this is what they let through. And that's interesting to me in some way. And obviously this is later in their history than 
you know, stuff that came out in the 20s. But it's, it's just always been sort of fascinating to me, like that artists, some artists were allowed to, to thrive at least for some time in the Soviet Union before they'd get sort of like, you know, pushed down by that same regime when they're like, you're going a little too far now. We're going to like take your legs out from under you. Uh, Laura, you had something? Yeah, I mean, this is just scratching the surface of uh, Russian cinema. And I wouldn't even, you know, I have, I do not know anything about it. But what I, what I can say is I saw a film that stuck with me. It's a 1989 Soviet drama called Freeze, Die, Come to Life. And um, it's by Konevsky. And it was it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And it takes place in a Siberian camp. And if I'm just putting that out there because it's my only context for Russian cinema that really stuck with me. So mm. I just, I don't just hate Russians. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Freudian Russians. Sure, sure. Uh, Alicia. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say, I think it's, it's pro it probably forces the artist to be very, to be maybe more creative or more oblique, depending on what kind of movie you want to make. But I do think it's interesting. This film isn't like overtly political, but there are there is like newsreel footage. There is like some, there is some politics in there, but he found a way to like kind of sneak it past them <laughs> because it's there. And he's like, this, these events weigh on my mind, but he doesn't like, necessarily give you like an opinion although I think depending on your own cultural background you're, you may draw one thing or another from it but right. I think he was really I think that sort of forced a, a different type of creativity to come out right and, and maybe I'm totally off base with this but I would think that in a society and a system that is supposedly all about everyone sharing the burden and everyone being equal, even though we know that's not actually what it was, but that was like the supposed philosophy of, of, of you know, the communism. Communism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then this guy's making this very personal work. I could see where that could be a completely political act to make something very personal in that kind of a, a society governed by that kind of philosophy in theory. You know, yeah. Well, I, I thought, thought it was very political. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when there's the part. I think it's like the when I stopped taking notes, but basically, like you know, there there's a big part about how the Russians, you know, we held back the Mongols and all of this here, and you know, this mm -hmm. clearly like storied history. And then there's like the not newsreel footage, but like almost looked like it, where it's literally like Russian soldiers arm in arm holding past. Chinese men, I mm -hmm. think, entirely waving pictures of Mao. And I was just confused there of yeah. like, did that they also? Reels. Isn't that? I think that like was also Chinese... newsreels. Was yeah. it an actual Chinese? Well, there yeah, was the Chinese were. communist. Yeah, revolution. there was actual newsreel from China. But then there was, I assume, not a newsreel because it was just looked mm. too fake because it was like, they're just in the middle of nowhere, like this flat plain. And there was like maybe a dozen Russian soldiers arms linked like you'd be like holding back like you know protesters or something like that and chinese people doing the same or i assume they're chinese like asian men holding the same pictures of mao and waving them so i was like is this i mean maybe Mon i'm 
do not know enough history here. <laughs> like maybe Mongolia was more part of China at that part. So this is like their modern day holding back the Mongols. But I was like, but Mao, I don't know enough about relations between the Chinese Communist Party and the USSR, I guess. But I assumed it was supposed to be the same. Like, oh, we're holding this back from the rest of the world or from Europe or something like that. Even though I was like, wait, though, the Iron Curtain. So mm-hmm. maybe someone else here knows more than I do here or had different thoughts I on just, that scene. I just know that Russia is such a big landmass that if once you get past like Moscow, you're kind of you're into like Asia. And so there's yeah. a lot of like Asian people that live there so I don't I I have no idea if that was like something that was taking place in Russia (laughs) with just like white soldiers that were stationed in this area that had like Asian people Mm. that were doing some kind of political speech or if it was totally made I really don't know either but I presumed that all the stuff that looked newsreally was was newsreal was real newsreal but but maybe not I don't know actually wasn't there also something in there I'm remembering that uh, was about like somehow we're bourgeois, even though we live in a communist society? Didn't they essentially say mm-hmm. that? So, yeah. like, I mean, that right there is also like another political statement within this film that I kind of wonder how that makes it through the Soviet film board. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they were just getting a little looser in the 70s and allowing a little more controlled dissent in a way in the art that they um, sanctioned. When they commented about being bourgeois, it was sent as a negative. That's true. That's true. So that's a good point. It did go against the the grain. Right. I guess I was thinking it was like a, an acknowledgement that that was happening in a way right. that I assumed the Soviet state would be like, don't let anybody know about this. Like we want everyone to think that, that we're not bourgeois and that everyone is equal and all that. But well, it I wasn't think you're right head. though, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in his head anyway. So you can't really rely on whatever he said. It was going to be the truth. So. Sure. Sure. Well, why don't we go ahead and see what everybody's favorite scenes or moments or other elements of the movie were. For me, anything with the mom in the daylight, in the green like especially when that the 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 doctor came by the fence those those moments were still it was the beginning i think and i still had a lot of hope for what i was about to see um and there was a lot of beauty in the in that mia i like those scenes too like the the wind over the grass like just Mm -hmm. really got me um if there's like a meaning there, right? Like what's the, so, I don't know. There's something. There has to be something. Yeah. I really like <laughs> that. Um, I mean, I don't know if I would say it was like my favorite scene, but like I said earlier, I also thought it was really interesting seeing the newsreel footage of like the kids saying goodbye and stuff. I don't know. That just like really struck my heart. Steven. I like the scenes with the mother the most, I think, um, like when she was showering and her hair was all crazy. I thought that was interesting. But one scene that really stuck with me, I think it was in the hot tea when the when the Ignat came back and he could just see the circle of the tea that was there and it was gone and it slowly disappeared. And then the music behind it was so dramatic yeah. that it just like I just thought about that for days after I saw it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know what that exactly meant, but it definitely made an impression on me. And that was kind of spooky. Yeah. yeah, that was so much mm-hmm. to me. Totally. Alicia? I feel like that the scene Stephen referenced and this the scenes that, Leah, that uh, Laura 
referenced um, just like, I like, I do like Lynch as a filmmaker a lot as well. And so those things I, I enjoyed seeing. Um, yeah, anything that just, I just liked all the imagery. Like I didn't, I just liked the, I kind of liked that I could give up on stuff when it was done. <laughs> and I was like, this is okay. Okay. I saw that happen and maybe it didn't matter. And maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. And I, I just, but yeah, I just thought the imagery was really beautiful. And, and so mm-hmm. I thought that um, that was probably my favorite thing. I do want to give like kudos to Alicia for going into it with this attitude that I sort of wish I had. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't and I don't, but I do think that it's definitely the right way to look at it. Right. Um, uh, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. I'm jealous. <laughs> no, I feel like there's some like life lesson there. Yeah. Like, maybe, just, I'm yeah. Just, yeah. maybe I'm just too patient. Maybe I just don't like have enough. Maybe I'm too easy to please. No, I don't think that's it. You're like, you just appreciate it for what it is where I was like, fuck you movie. <laughs> you're not see, doing like, exactly what I want. 2001: A Space Odyssey is a very similar movie, like Jer- as Jeremiah mentioned before. But like, I I had that type of experience with that movie where I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What is it? What is okay. going on here?" Like, like I could not latch onto any plot in that movie, and that, and that really frustrated me because well, it is this really that. like acclaimed movie that like everyone says you should see, and I. Right. I watched it and I was like, what? Yeah, I think we had that reaction when I we saw Interstellar because yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. And I remembered you were just like, I'm not into this. Alicia <laughs> just hates space, though. What do these movies have in common? Space. True. <laughs> if there was space in this movie, thing. if they had gone into like Sputnik and stuff like that in this movie, like, she would have been like, no, I'm right. done. Turn yeah, off. Like, oh my God. I think you're right, actually. I think space, I think space makes me really impatient. It does. We all know this about you, Alicia. Um, I, I agree with you, though, about the imagery just being very compelling in the movie. Um, the way you or somebody else was just describing it made me realize that another movie it reminds me of recently is The Father with Anthony Hopkins, where there's these scenes where they make this great use of space and editing and uh, and staging where you're kind of going around the space and things change and you're kind of like, I don't know what's going on. And it's supposed to be a representation of what's going on inside this, this man's mind that is failing him. And sort of in a way, this is the same thing where this guy's dying and he's having these, um, these thoughts The the image that really stuck with me though, since I saw it was the, uh, shot of the barn burning. Um, it's just such a striking image and, the shots of the people just sort of like calmly watching it burn. I was like, there's some metaphor here. Uh, but I, I, just the image itself, even without any meaning, I was just like, this is gorgeous and I love it. I thought the same thing. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but it, it didn't end on that same image. Like, and it could have. It was in the same time frame and the same, yep, like mm-hmm. woods. And it just, and the sun was even in the back. And I was like, is that the burning barn? But it wasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was and a I, lot of use of fire and water in this, for sure. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure we could probably have a whole, I could watch it again and, well, I mean, I'm not going to, but have a whole imagery <laughs> discussion. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there and are the points. And the mirrors, too. Yeah. There, there were points watching the movie where I was like, is this film about, like, things that are elemental because there's the fire, there's the water, there's wind. It's like, is this Captain Planet, the movie or something? <laughs> um, 
I kind of liked that it went back to the parents at the end because I think like, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I'm going to reveal so too much about myself when I say this, but like, I liked that, like, cause I think you do kind of, or maybe I, only I do this, but you kind of like mythologize your life a little bit in your head. And so like, I think like, sometimes I do think like, oh, wow, like my parents had such hopes <laughs> for me and like, and this is how it's turning out. <laughs> And do do I feel satisfied with this or or not? Or are they happy about this or are they not? You know. Well, Alicia's parents, if you're listening, please do (laughs) write us or leave us a voice message and let us know (laughs) what you think of how Alicia and her life has turned out. Please don't. Okay, so has the movie, as far as you're concerned, stood the test of the time? Do you think it resonates today in some way? I think like it's sort of this thing I feel like it's like eating a salad like I think maybe you should do it once to like have the experience of it maybe have an experience like Alicia where you just like let the salad wash over you but like I don't it's not like an enjoyable experience you only eat salad once (laughs) yeah I don't know what this metaphor is I'm not a huge well in terms of like eating something healthy I'm not a huge salad person maybe it's more like eating rainbow chard like I just can't but anyways I'm going way too far with this metaphor I guess here yeah I mean Jury's still out in my mind on if it's stood the test of time or not. I guess I would tell someone, if you want to watch it, I think, sure, just maybe read up on it first because then you'll have a better experience than going into it cold. I think maybe it stood the test of time, but I don't know how much it resonates because I liked how we started splitting that apart. Okay. Um, Alicia. It is a tough question because I really just think it depends on the person that's watching it. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, I liked it, and I, 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 well, I, I didn't love it, but I liked the experience of of it, and I would probably watch it again if I was in the right mood. So I guess that for me, that it does stand the test of time. <laughs> yeah, like everybody else, it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of a tough question to ask because. I feel like it's like, I understood Mia's uh, metaphor for calling it a salad. It's sort of like one of those movies that you would watch in a film class and you'd watch several times to get a lot out of it. But it's not something that you'd watch casually and be like, oh yeah, that was great. Unless you were in the right mindset to to for what you were going to be experiencing. So that's another thing. It's just like, this is what his fourth movie in the movies that he's done, like the fourth one he's made. So I'm wondering like if I had seen the other three and then seen this one, would I have been like, oh, this is really great because it follows or he did something different than he did with the other one. So I would have gotten more out of mm-hmm. it, but it, it's just really tough to kind of go into the middle of the movies that he's made and say like, oh yeah, it definitely, you know, stood the test of time in terms of the other movies that he's had. Um, but I do think it does resonate because I guess if you're going to be, interested in film, you can get a lot out of it. Um, so yeah. Laura? I think everyone's answer has been really good so far. I just, I want to say that. Um, but I, you know, I thought it was a very clumsy film, the editing and the newsreels and the, I mean, the camera work even, you know, I just, it, there was that whole, from his point of view, thing that was really interesting kind of in the Citizen Kane aspect, but then it would change completely. Um, it, I just, I thought it, 
I thought, no, I would say, no, this film didn't. I think this film sucks. Okay. <laughs> when we do this podcast again in 10 years before the next list comes out, I'm curious yeah, yeah. <laughs> where well, we all well, I think it, I think it's just a big ruse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I think it stands the test of time because like, I think everyone is more or less said something that they could connect with. I think probably Laura, you even said something along the way that, that you like connected with in the movie. So I think there's stuff in it that resonates today, especially like, because I don't think it's about, even though it is about his, his experience, his life that is maybe demarcated into the pre and post war. It's just about having memories. I think, I think it's about that experience of like remembering things and like going over your life. And I think that that's, to some degree, universal experience that everyone has had or will have at some point in their life where they're just thinking back on things and sort of uh, cataloging, even if it is in a way that is sort of like a, a un- unreliable narrator sort of way, as Stephen put it earlier. Like, I, I think that's the way your memory works. Um, so I think that that's all relatable stuff that I think is kind of timeless in a way, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, the test of time question is one I always struggle with in this podcast because like all of these movies that we've watched so far are movies that have been like super acclaimed and especially like this one um, only came onto the list in 2012. It wasn't in the top 10 before that. So like obviously it's standing the test of time with a lot of people. Um, I don't know if I'd be watching it if not for it being on this list though. So it's like, I don't know how to reckon with that question and as much as the the resonance question yeah so i'm kind of copping out on the first part of the question and just going with the second (laughs) i think that was good yeah i definitely appreciate where everyone's coming from and for a film to stand you know to to be discussed so many years later on this level it obviously has so much to offer all of us but Mm -hmm. I just feel like throwing down the gauntlet on it, honestly, because I found it pretty annoying. Fair enough. <laughs> the other thing is that it's not, it's, it's might be true to like a somewhat privileged, you know, white person's experience. Oh yeah. It's not going to be like universally, um, I don't want to say appreciated, but it's not going to be like universally um, felt right. by everyone, by anyone that watches it from like any background. And, and I get that too. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. I think the specifics of what he is remembering, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think the mm-hmm. the structure of it, like the the idea of just remembering what your life is and like drawing uh, connections between sort of seemingly dissonant moments sometimes. I think that that's something that everyone probably yeah. has yeah, happened, even if they're not really thinking about it in a straightforward mm-hmm. way like that. I can't argue with that. Yeah. That's yeah, a good point. That too. I would be curious. I wonder what people in Russia think of this movie now. Like, yeah. I'm sure they have more historical context for the mm-hmm. events. And mm-hmm. I would just be like, is it still held up as like a classic there? Or do younger people like, no, this is so out of touch? Or I don't know. I would just be curious. what You're out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be interested in that too. I, I mean, not that this okay. answers that question at all, but like, I found it interesting is why I put it in the sort of roundup of things about the movie 
that the number one movie that year in Russia was a Bollywood film from two years mm-hmm. before, which I'm sure had just been released. Like it only made it there to Russia by then. But, um, you know, this movie wasn't like universally praised or acclaimed at the time. Um, I don't know if, if it is now or not. Like, I don't know if it's like everybody in Russia is like Tarkovsky is one of our greats and we have to revere him or, or not. Or if it's more like he has an appeal outside of Russia and, and if you go there, they're like, why do you like him so yeah. much? What does Putin think? Yeah. 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 I ask myself that question every is single that every- day. Yeah. Yeah. Not every day. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you think Putin saw a quiet a quieter place? <laughs> he probably saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Alicia, you picked our bonus question. Yes. The question was, what is your earliest really memorable movie going experience and what made it so special for you. And um, I guess I said uh, that E.T., it it wasn't the first movie that I went to see at the movie theater, but I just remember that experience really fondly because my mom, like we went out to lunch or something that day and she was like, and then we drove and we like drove past our house and it was like, where are we going? (laughs) And we went to like She's like, we're going to the movies. We're going to see E.T. And it was just like, I was so excited. And then, of course, the movie is like such a great children's movie. And it has that Spielberg, that thing that Spielberg does really well that, you know, that connects with kids. It's just like the magic of it. You know, the, the score, the like score, the soaring music and the kids going off on their kid adventure and like the parents. The low angle not. shot. Yeah, it just felt like. Um, John yeah, Ford on just, the port shots. Yeah. Yeah, I just really, um, I just have a very fond memory of that experience. Okay, and Laura? Sorry if I stepped on that, because I, I think mine was E.T. as well. Um, Marie posted something on our page because she thinks it was Tootsie. But mm-hmm. either, either way, it was our Aunt Nancy would take us to the movie theater a lot. But what made them so special was that our Aunt Nancy would teach us how to sneak into movies. So <laughs> it wouldn't just be, you know, going to see E.T., which was magical and amazing. It was going to another film and making sure you left five minutes before that film was done so that you could make it into the next one and not get caught. And we would do it was a whole day thing. And it was that was magical, you know, because we just it would sneak into movies and just be following Aunt Nancy <laughs> the entire day. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It was. Really so, fucking was. <laughs> the first movie I remember seeing in theaters was Beauty and the Beast. And my aunt took me as well, my Aunt Denise, with my two cousins. And I was a total fucking wuss and I lost my shit during like the one of the early scenes when the wolves are chasing the dad, I think it is. Scary. It's scary. And I was probably like three or four. Like I was really young and it scared the shit out of me. I actually don't remember if I made it through the rest of the movie or if they like all had to leave. Um, But I just remember being like absolutely terrified of this. Um, But on a more like somewhat positive note the movie theater that we saw it in it was like one of my favorite movie theaters growing up all through high school I saw so many movies there like I saw Napoleon Dynamite there which love that movie and just like so many like Lion King like Babysitter's Club like all the hits of my youth I feel like I saw there 
it tragically <laughs> was turned. I love Babysitter's Club. Is that an Club. actual movie? Yeah, yes. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like I, such I a 90s movie. I knew it was, movie. like, on TV. I didn't know it actually Oh, yeah. Was. No. Alicia, you've seen that movie, right? Yeah, I've seen the movie. Yeah. It's I've like, seen everything Babysitter's <laughs> yeah, Club. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, like, cool girl 90s movie. Like, I was, like, probably, like, I guess, like, nine or ten when it came out and I was like I want to be these girls like oh my god Dawn like oh but anyways so I was I was definitely too old to see it like when it came <laughs> out like I definitely was not the age range for it at that point anymore but I still saw it it's great I would rewatch it like I watched the Netflix series last summer loved it it was just mm-hmm. such mindless <laughs> entertainment in a time when that was really needed um, a few, um, God, probably more than a few years ago now, but like, I don't know, five years ago, I'm wrapping it up. They turned <laughs> our beloved Miracle 5, which had like evolved into more of like an art house cinema place into a fucking Whole Foods. So and they have the nerve to put the Miracle 5 sign up in the Whole Foods. It's like over the smoothie bar, some shit that like that. That is so I'm sad. Like, it's disgusting. So, <laughs> so I know, I know. I my, feel- my theater I was talking about is now like a Rite Aid. Oh, yeah. So sad. Uh, For me, I don't remember seeing Annie, but that was the first movie I went to the theaters to see. My parents have told me all about it, and apparently I loved it. Uh, But (laughs) I also remember going to the drive-in with my parents, and their trick was they would bring sleeping bags for me and my sister, put the seats down in the back of the truck. It was a Suburban, and put sleeping bags down and we'd watch the movie until we, until we fell asleep. And that happened Aww. early on. I remember with Ghostbusters and Splash. Oh, <laughs> so. Splash. Did they carry you sleeping into the house or did they wake you up when you got home? And I make think you they walk? would try to carry us in sleeping. Okay. I don't know if it always worked out that way. That matters. But also the drive-in was like an hour away, so we might have wake okay. woken up on the way home for all I know. What's the movie your dad took you to that was like so wildly oh, inappropriate? One of the Death Wish movies. Uh, <laughs> I remember. And it got to a scene where they were making him, they were making somebody eat glass and I just lost my shit. <laughs> I was like, we have to leave. So my, I was there with my dad and we left and it was like my mom was having friends over that night. That's why we went out to a movie. Uh, and so my dad like called his boss up who was his friend and we like met him at Pizza Hut and had pizza instead of watching Death Wish when I was like, like five or something. Was he like, don't tell your mother? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a good future question. What's the what's the most inappropriate movie your parents ever took you to see when you were a kid? Oh, oh that's uh, a good one. A good I'm going to save that one because I was going to say it now, but I'm yeah. Gonna yeah, I'll, I'll like save my one. other answer for that, which relates to your like surprise movie after school thing or whatever. Like, you know, Stephen, did you answer the? Yeah, Stephen, what's your answer? It was Star Wars. That's the first movie I really remember seeing. And my, like Jeremiah, my sister took us to see it at a drive and there was like the little speaker in the window and like we had snacks and we were all in our pjs and stuff and Aww. we actually had a station wagon that was like the station wagon that they drove on that 70s show it was a vista cruiser um and there was one exactly like ours like right next to us and i just could not get over it so like i was looking at it like ha- half of the movie like i think we're in there i think that car like that's us we're, we're like in a mirror and my sister's like we well, just watched the movie but i just kept looking at it I, and she was like just sit down she, she finally had to move me so i just Aww. watched the movie um but but another one that was funny was the rescuers which i saw it was the same year and my sister took us to see that too but it was on the air force base where there was just like the one theater 
and we walked in and it was one of those theaters where they just dropped the kids off like but my sister came with us and those kids were horrible they were like running up and down the aisles and throwing lollipops at the screen and screaming at each other and we were really well-behaved kids so we just like were watching all the other kids and i don't remember that movie because we were watching all the kids just Mm. act crazy because their parents weren't there oh my god so that was it i don't i still haven't seen that movie to this day actually other than (laughs) them so here are our answers from the facebook group um charlie said Ghostbusters. He said it was particularly memorable because as the ghosts were released into the city, a Florida thunderstorm knocked the power out and he freaked out on his parents. Mm-hmm. Okay, so JPK said, I don't remember my first movie, but I do remember going to see Dick Tracy as a family and my mother complaining that the sound was too loud. We also saw Roger Rabbit around the same time. It was a bit terrifying and wonderful. I love both of those films so much. Sid said Return of the Jedi. That was a magical experience. Gavin said Back to the Future. I remember the family going together and loving it. I also remember Labyrinth Labyrinth, scaring the S-H-I-T out of me in the theater, hiding in the crook of my mom's arm. Joan says, my dad took me to see Lawrence of Arabia when they had a revival at this huge screen movie theater in Omaha called Indian Hills. She knows the name's problematic now, but it was an amazing theater. It was special because she was the youngest of eight kids and often felt either invisible to her dad or was in trouble for something. So being singled out to see the movie that he loved made her feel incredibly nervous and excited. And because of that, she paid very close attention to the entire movie so that she could talk with it talk about it with him. And she's about 12 when that happens. And she still remembers that entire movie really vividly. That's such a cute story. I like that one. And a great movie. Michelle (laughs) said Xanadu. She was so entranced by this movie. Olivia Newton-John, all those awesome ELO songs, the roller skating, the trippy musical numbers, the Don Bluth animated scene. Gene Kelly, exclamation point. Gene Kelly. Yeah. Fucking Kelly, man. Yeah, he was. That's is that one of his last roles? Never go right? away from me. I think it is his last role. I think it was. Where yeah. You go. Uh, <laughs> but, imagine that being your last role if you're Gene Kelly. Oh I mean, um, a, but she was so, so entranced by all this that she actually spoke about it for like 20 minutes for show and tell the next day. Totally confusing and boring. Her whole class and teacher. After seeing it again as an adult multiple times, she still loves it. Parts of it are so bad, they're good. And then parts of it are just plain sublime. And a funny side note, her 18-year-old aunt, who took 9-year-old Michelle to the theater to see Xanadu, gave her the choice between that and The Shining. Oh, my God. So So lots of aunts taking kids to inappropriate movies. (laughs) Or or teaching them tricks to get through life. Our next episode is Mia's second pick. So we're finally going to watch The Godfather. I feel like every week I'm like, next week's The Godfather, right? But finally, (laughs) next week is The Godfather which, of course, was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, released in 1972. It is available to watch on the new Paramount Plus streaming service with a subscription or for rent from Google, Vudu, Apple TV, etc. There you go. So that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash stereoactivemovieclub. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.